0: Welcome back to Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. On today's episode, we are having a conversation with media scholar, Dr. Sierra Kirkpatrick. Sierra is an assistant professor of advertising and public relations at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. She studied integrated marketing communications at Wichita State for her undergrad years. Then she went on to get her master's in communication, also from Wichita State, And then finally pursued her Ph.D. in strategic health communication from the University of Missouri. And like I said, now is at the University of Lincoln or University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So her own research is focused heavily on how messaging in the media affects our mental and physical health and how we as communicators can effectively design messages that improve both individual and community health outcomes. So Sierra has worked on lots of different types of research grants. Some of those grants have been funded by organizations such as uh, the National Institute of Health, and she's presented her research at national and international conferences, including the Association for Education in Journalism and Mass Communications, the International Public Relations Research Conference, and the International Communication Association Conference. Her research has also been published in Health Communication, Communication Reports, and the Review of General Psychology. So I've known Sierra since graduate school, and have had the pleasure of getting to follow her career over the past many years while she pursued her PhD, uh, and then now is um, working as an assistant professor. And I've followed her career mainly via social media, and I'm particularly excited to discuss her dissertation research today, first and foremost, which is about how Idealized portrayals of motherhood in particular on Instagram influence the mental health and well being of new mothers. It's really interesting because she actually undertook this dissertation research while she was a brand new mom herself. So, very personal, very relatable, um, and really interesting research that she came up with. Then we're also going to get into a new research grant that she's actually currently working on with a colleague that discusses TikTok and the influence that it's having on women's health issues in particular. So let's get into it. Welcome to the
1: show, Sierra. I'm honored to have you join me today, and I'm excited to kind of get into a lot of different things. So there's a lot, I think, to talk about in regards to your career but what I really want to talk about is your research or are your research interests interests so I'm fascinated by uh the work that you've published I think because to me it gets to the heart of social media's role in kind of the construction of our own internal narratives right the stories that we tell ourselves um, about whether we're good enough or what we should be or how, you know how everyone else does things. And I think that's that's what's really interesting about the work that you're doing is that the goal of social media originally was for us to share our story with people. But the underlying effect of that is that social media is causing us to rewrite our own stories, rewrite our own thoughts, our own narratives. So uh, with that kind of just beginning introduction of why I'm fascinated by what you do could you start by telling us about specifically your dissertation research and and why you chose to go that direction and, and what it was?
2: Yes, absolutely. So I was working on my PhD at the University of Missouri School of Journalism. And during the whole time I was there, I was studying the media and how the media affects us in terms of our health and our knowledge and our attitudes and behaviors. But I hadn't in the beginning had an interest so much in this idea of social media and how it's affecting things, especially in terms of portrayals of motherhood on social media and how it's affecting the mental health of mothers. But while I was in the process of getting my PhD, my husband and I decided that we were going to try to start our family and have our first child. And so, um, I got pregnant during my PhD program, and that's really kind of what changed things up for me. So um, a lot of my dissertation was really just focused on my personal experience and what I was going through. And, you know, I knew it was going to be hard to be pregnant and to become a mom, like motherhood is no joke. <laughs> and I knew that, and I knew it was going to be extra hard given that I was working on a PhD and very stressed to begin with. But then also... Um, my son was born in May of 2020, so it was also COVID and he was a pandemic baby. And I think that led to my environment being a lot more isolating. And so social media was how I had a lot of connection to my friends and peers and family members because we were all locked at home. And so um, for all mothers, but especially during a time of isolation like that, you turn to social media and you see all these different portrayals from other mothers, some who are just like you, others may be influencers or celebrities, but we compare ourselves to those narratives that we see portrayed online and we think about what we're experiencing ourselves and then what other people seem to be experiencing and often there's a discrepancy between what's portrayed and what's real life and so I became really fascinated in that um, as a media researcher. And I had done some research previously on like body image on Instagram and how that can have harmful effects. And so I realized the same type of social comparison process that happens when we compare our physical appearance to what we see portrayed online is the same as portraying motherhood and comparing our experiences to those portrayals we see.
1: Absolutely. I think it's so cool that all of that came from... Your life. It came from what you were experiencing. And, you know, I I resonate with that because my master's project, um, which you and I went to, you know, did our master's together, um, but my master's project was about mental health and was um, creating a video series about suicide prevention and destigmatizing mental health. And when I started it, I didn't know how relevant it was going to be. I knew I was pregnant and about to have a baby. But what I did not know was just how hard postpartum anxiety and depression was about to like rock my world. So I remember being on maternity leave in the throes of this mental health like battle of postpartum writing my literature review. And, And what an interesting like thing that was and how that made my project so much more effective and personal because I was living it. And so I feel like that's... For you, I mean, you were able to grow personally, grow professionally, yes. grow the career field professionally, add all of this interesting information while you know raising a little human. Like it's it's incredible. So let's let's stick with this research for a minute. I want to move into the next one that you're doing, but let's let's stick here for just a yeah. second. Can you share? Obviously, I don't want you to like give us your whole dissertation right now, but could you share maybe some interesting insights or just some some valuable stuff that you uncovered through that research project?
2: Yeah. So it's kind of like a quick overview of what it looked like. So I exposed over 400 new mothers in the United States to 20 real posts taken from Instagram. These were posts that portrayed motherhood and half of those posts glamorized motherhood. So they were very idealized portrayals. You know, the mom had full makeup and looked perfect and the kid was super sweet and nothing was wrong. And then the other half of the portrayals were more realistic portrayals so they talked about some of the hardships of motherhood and everything wasn't picture perfect and then within that some of those idealized and non-idealized posts were from social media influencers and also some of those posts were just from everyday mothers that are like us and so I was looking at the effects of whether or not the content glamorized motherhood, but then also the effects of who the post was coming from. And the big takeaway was that those posts that idealized motherhood actually increased envy and anxiety in the mothers in my study. So um, because of the experimental design that I used, the method I was able to show that it was the idealization of those posts that actually increased um, that negative effect on their mental health, that increased envy and anxiety. But what was really interesting to me was that the idealized posts had those negative effects, regardless of whether it was an influencer who posted them or an everyday mother. So there wasn't a difference in terms of the source. And I think so often, you know, we like to kind of blame the influencers, like they're the ones who are all over the place and making a career of it and have these perfect portrayals. But really, this research kind of goes to show that anyone can post this idealized content and have these negative effects. It's not just a problem with the influencers.
1: But that's kind of a Convicting finding, I think, almost, you know, to think that I mean, because I have certainly been guilty of, you know, maybe having like a like maybe we take the kids to some, you know, activity for the day and we have some good moments. But by and large, because they're both young and your know, family trips are hard, like there's a lot of not so good moments, um, but I get the good moments on camera. And then at the end of the day, I want to make a post. that's like, oh, look at this really sweet thing that my really sweet family did. And not to say that we all need to just like air all of our dirty laundry on social media by any means, but to think to myself, because I intentionally ignored the hard parts of my life because I wanted to, I mean, in reality, kind of show off to people. Right. Perhaps I made another mom's life just slightly harder by doing that. Like that's a kind of a convicting thought. And I, and I do think that we don't often relate that more to our sphere of influence. We relate that to the influencers, the, the, the big names, the people with millions of followers. So I find that really fascinating.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, social media, it is a highlight reel. It's so easy to, you know, make things look good and focus on portraying the things we want to portray. And I think that's okay. You know, I think it's important to share the things that we want to share and that make us happy but yeah that just that recognition that you know maybe i should be a little more open and you know think about what effects this might be having and you know every once in a while post about the things that aren't going great too just to kind of help bring us all back to that reality that you know like i portray my life this way but you know what sometimes crappy things happen too and so having that balance i think can be really helpful for other mothers
1: yeah because i do almost think that sometimes the you know algorithm or just the content that i'm consuming for whatever reason will almost pendulum swing to where maybe it's almost a bunch of moms that are in the thick of it and like not necessarily complaining but but definitely sharing the real world stuff and then i almost find that i'm wallowing for lack of a better term. So I do think it's a balance. You know, it's what you said, like appreciating and being grateful for what we have while also recognizing that things are hard for everyone and seeing the shared humanity. And I mean, it's all delicate, but that's, I mean, that's communication and society in general, I suppose, which I'm sure was a challenge for you in this research. So so I guess that's a question I have. What challenges did you face as you were tackling this topic? I'm sure it wasn't all straightforward.
2: Yeah, so a couple of different things, but I think, With the type of research that I do, you know, I'm taking messages that exist in the media and trying to experimentally test what effects they have. And so there's a couple different ways to do this, and I won't get too into the weeds of it, but sometimes in my studies, I will create my own stimuli, you know, I'll create my own social media posts that represent what I want to study. But ideally, it's better if I can take posts... Or messages that already exist in the real world, and so that was something I really wanted to do with this study. Was I wanted to use real mothers' Instagram posts and be like, these are things that actually exist and actually having these effects. But one thing that I ran into, first of all, you know, I had to spend hours like scouring the internet to find things that matched um, what I needed, while still controlling for other things that I didn't want to test for. But um, part of it, you know, these are mothers who are sharing pictures of their children on social media. So I was kind of in this like ethical position of like, okay, is it bad if I like, take these women's pictures and use them for the good of my research and show them to other mothers. And so that was something um, that I kind of had to think about. But what I ultimately decided to do was uh, um, with the influencers, I just went ahead and used their posts. Like they're trying to be public figures. They're very knowingly putting themselves out there to a mass audience of people who don't know them. But for the other mothers who weren't necessarily posting for everyone to see, I mean, who posts more so for like their family and friends that follow them, I contacted them and I was like, hey, you know, I'm a young mother, I'm doing this study and I would really love to use your post as a part of this study. Like, would you be okay with that. And so um, that was kind of challenging because I did have some mothers who weren't comfortable with it and who did tell me no, but a lot of them were willing to let me use their posts. And not only were they willing to let me use their posts, but they were also fascinated by the research because they saw the need and they wanted to know the findings. And so I like had a list of mothers whose content I used in my study who wanted me to send them the findings afterwards. And so that was really neat because it kind of just helped to reaffirm like, okay, this is really important work and it does matter.
1: That's great. So, so then after your dissertation was wrapped up, and you, um, you know, started your new job at um, University of Nebraska Lincoln, right? Yep. Making sure I got all those in there right. <laughs> um, as an assistant professor. Now, somewhat recently actually, I remember seeing on Facebook, so was talking about social media, that you got this amazing uh, grant opportunity. That you got this award, you were named an emerging scholar for the AEJMC, which for those of you who don't know is the Association for Education and Journalism and Mass Communication. Um but they they awarded you a grant of $3500 to conduct a research study about TikTok on young women's health. So I'm gonna have you tell us more about that, but I think when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Cause you took this kind of niche area of moms, which of course I resonated highly with, um, but not everyone would. And now you're moving into women's health holistically and on TikTok specifically, And I don't know anything about this research yet, since you're working on it, obviously. So I'm so curious. I don't know what you can share at this point and what you can. Can you give us a background on what you're doing?
2: Absolutely, yeah. So I think one thing a lot of us have heard is that people are using TikTok to get health information. So there was... um, A couple of news headlines a few months ago that said that especially among Generation Z, TikTok is like the go-to source to find information. So they're not going to Google to look up what they want to know. They're going to TikTok because they can find information there and get recommendations and learn about all sorts of topics. And so this is very interesting. But then when you think about it from a health communication standpoint, That means that the content on TikTok is likely affecting people in terms of their attitudes and their knowledge and the behaviors they're making that affect their health. And so I have a friend and colleague at the University of Missouri who is wrapping up her PhD right now, and she is super into TikTok as well. And we both have a shared interest in women's health. And so we teamed up and we wanted to think about, you know, what content is out there, what's really taking off on TikTok and what effects it might be having. And so what we found is that one topic that's really popular on TikTok is talking about pap smears. So a little out there, but pap smears are important, obviously, for cervical cancer screening. It's how it's how doctors are able to detect precancerous cells and ultimately help catch cervical cancer early and treat it. And so um, what's really interesting is when you go on TikTok and you search for pap smears, there's an abundance of information. So there's everything from young women recording their pap smear experience as it's happening or talking about it in their car, like right before or after, and maybe they're like terrified to go in, but they're going to do it anyway. Um, And then there's also doctors who are going on there and trying to encourage young women to make sure they get their pap smears. And those videos are interesting too, because some of them are, you know, just trying to be very encouraging and informative. And then others are like taking that to a whole nother level and like, bringing out the tools that are used during a pap smear and showing, you know, what goes in your body, which can be a little frightening to see. And so for this project that I received the grant for, I'm working with that colleague, um, her name's Larissa, and we are studying two different things, ultimately how, TikTok is being used to seek health information. So just overall, how young women are getting health information on a variety of different topics and how they perceive that content in terms of whether or not they trust it, if there are certain people they trust more than others. And then we're doing an experiment testing the communication surrounding pap smears specifically to see if the communication that exists is helpful or harmful in terms of encouraging young women to get that important screening done.
1: Wow. I love that you and Larissa are working together. I saw her name on that. I was like, that's so cool. Cause yeah. she was, she was a few years after us in grad school, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. I never overlapped with Larissa. I'm at Wichita state, but, um, and we really barely overlapped um, in Missouri too, but we both ended up at the same PhD program. And because I knew she was from Wichita and we had that connection and um, we kind of got in touch and got to know each other. And so, um she really kind of brings the experience and expertise in TikTok and understanding how TikTok works. I have a TikTok but don't use it and don't other than looking at videos for research. Um so I don't have as much knowledge there but I come with that um expertise in experimental design so we're able to kind of bridge our areas of interest and expertise and carry out this study.
1: I I can't wait to see it one because it's a combination of Two, you know, Wichita State powerhouses, which is fantastic. Um, And two, you know, it sounds weird. Depending on who's listening to this podcast, they will either likely hear, yeah, I'm going to do research about pap smears and be like, that's super out there and weird. Or they'll do what I did, which was, you know what? I've actually seen a strange amount of content on my TikTok feed about pap smears. Um, And obviously, I'm female. So the algorithm works Mm -hmm. that way. Right. So it's going to show me stuff like that. But, um, you know, one thing that I have run into a lot is that a lot of women, uh, either healthcare professionals or just women who, you know, go get pap smears, have been talking about um, the importance of trauma-informed visits. And so it was fascinating to learn about, and they were just talking about how, how you know, a yearly exam, something that, that most of us do every year or should do every year at least, can be so re-traumatizing for somebody who has been a victim of sexual assault. And they were talking about how many doctors don't necessarily have that trauma-informed care. Um, There's a lot of different things that a provider can do to make someone who has experienced trauma more confident and more um, calm. And then also as a patient, there's so many things that you can do to advocate for yourself to say, You know i i am a sexual assault um you know survivor and because of that i would like you to explain everything that you're going to do before you do it i need to know before something goes into my body i need to know you know um and there are things that i hadn't considered and then i try to think about like myself as a you know 13 year old girl let's say and just imagine if we had had access to this kind of stuff it's both empowering to think of having access to that and also of course, I think we've all run across some stuff that wasn't as helpful. So so it's also scary. Again, two sides of the same coin. It's just yeah. really interesting. Do y'all have a, a timeline on this research, Gina, when we might be able to see findings of it? Yeah.
2: So because of the grant that we got, we'll actually present our preliminary findings at a conference in August and then hopefully um, around that time be getting ready to submit it for um, a journal publication too. And so I would hope, you know, maybe by maybe this time next year, it can be like officially published and shared with the world. But yeah, I think we actually have like a lot of different ideas that we want to study within this. So there may be multiple phases of studies and findings, but um, I think it's interesting what you bring up with the trauma aspect. We're not specifically examining that in this study, but we do kind of touch on that idea of how it's approached in terms of people's level of comfort. So in this first um, phase of the study, we're looking at the source of who's putting out the video. So whether they're hearing about this from another peer like them or a doctor, but then the other variable we're investigating is what um, is called autonomy support. So this idea that some of the messaging on TikTok surrounding pap smears is very almost forceful and doesn't give you much of a choice it makes you feel like this is something you have to do no ifs ands or buts and there are people who go on tiktok and talk like this um you know they say this is what a pap smear is this is why you have to do it and you don't have a choice like you must go get this done like it's very important and yes it is important but when things are presented to us as something we have to do and that we don't have a choice that can be, you know, kind of a turnoff for a lot of us. And so another way of communicating about this issue is to be autonomy supportive. And so this means presenting it more so in a way that phrases it as like, you know, this is really important. It's something you might want to consider doing. Like this isn't something I'm going to make you do. You don't have to go do this, but this is why you might want to get it done. And I think you should consider it. And another part of that autonomy support is recognizing that some women don't want to do this and that that, that's valid. You know, you may be terrified to get a pass smear because you may think it's going to hurt or cause anxiety or just be embarrassing. Or maybe you're terrified of what the results are gonna be. Like maybe you'd rather not know if something's wrong with you. And so part of that autonomy supportive language is recognizing those fears and not just discounting them, recognizing them that they're there and you know, helping them to deal with those fears and anxieties and be more comfortable so that they can go through with getting this important test done. So that's kind of what we're investigating in this first series. And yeah, I'll be really excited to share the findings.
1: I think that will be really, really interesting. So as you have, I mean, you've been a media researcher for a long time and social media has kind of been um, your primary realm of, of research as of now, and of course, women's health and um motherhood and all of that has kind of been your passion or your your drive so are there who who else is doing this research who who has maybe inspired you or if you know any of us listening are interested in this where could we go to learn more about social media research specifically related to like women and women yeah. issues and things like that.
2: Absolutely. So there's tons of scholars that, you know, kind of study in this area of media effects and health communication and social media. But when I got started doing this research on the social media comparisons and how it's shaping our lives, especially in terms of motherhood, um one of my favorite books was called The Mommy Myth. And so this is a book, you can find it on Amazon, wherever you get books, you know, um, that really kind of talks about this idea that we glamorize motherhood and we're held to such high expectations that are really unattainable. Now, this book talks about the effects of media on that. So um, it was really awesome for me to be able to get like a history um, of this area. So the idea of idealizing motherhood isn't a new thing. It's not something that we can blame on social media. It's actually been happening for a really long time. And so in that book, the authors talk about how In the 70s and 80s, motherhood was glamorized in magazines. So it was these celebrity mom profiles where they would talk about, you know, being a mom and oh my gosh, it's the best thing ever. My life is now complete. And it was very much what we see on social media. Like it was all this picture perfect portrayal and it didn't talk about the hardships. And so mothers back then were doing the same thing, they were comparing to those experiences so that book is really awesome for understanding like just how long this has been an issue and how it affects women it also gets into a lot of other intricacies around this but um what was really cool is it kind of set the stage for my research but when we think about you know mothers in the 70s and 80s like looking in magazines well now it's such a bigger problem because we literally have our phones on us all the time, every single day. So while I'm up, you know, breastfeeding my son in the middle of the night in the dark in the nursery, I'm not gonna be reading a magazine, but I probably am gonna be on my phone scrolling through Instagram. And so it's just this bigger problem that's constantly facing us. And so I think um, that book, The Mommy Myth um, is really awesome if you're interested in learning more about this. And then um, there's also another podcast called Under the Influence by Joe Piazza. And it's like a 30 podcast, 30 episode series um, that talks all about social media and influencers and the effects that it has on us. And so um, I really like that podcast because it does focus a lot on the motherhood aspect, but it also talks about it a bit more broadly too. And just this crazy, you know, idea of influencers and how influencers came to be and what influence they're having on all of us. And so those are kind of two two areas I would point people in in um, that podcast specifically, you know, kind of pulls in some recommendations of other researchers working on similar work so you can learn from them and, you know, look them up too, if this is something you're interested in.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I love that you said social media isn't the problem, right? The problem exists in the human psyche and our desire to constantly compare Mm -hmm. and our desire to wonder, am I normal? Am I okay? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? But the problem became, becomes so much more expansive right. due to the nature and connectivity of social media. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's so interesting. Right. So we've talked a ton about your research, um, but you're also a teacher, right? So you're also teaching college students. How has being a mother and doing this social media research and working with young people
2: how has all of that influenced your teaching style? Do you teach differently? Do you engage differently based on what you've learned? Yeah, so I teach both undergrads and graduate students now. And a lot of what I teach, you know, does have to do with social media. I teach advertising public relations courses. So, you know, I have to help my students know how they can use these platforms to effectively communicate with their audiences. And I think that, you know, it's so important that. I'm able to keep up with you know the ever-changing world of technology and social media and so My research helps me to stay in touch with those social media platforms that my students are on. So, you know, we have conversations about what platforms they prefer to use and what they're seeing and how they think it's affecting them. And so it all just kind of comes together in both my research informing my teaching, but also my interactions with my students, helping me know, you know, what I should be focusing on my research, what they're interested in, what they're paying attention to, to kind of help me understand what effects social media is having on them as a population.
1: So as kind of an interesting follow-up question to that, and I don't know if you have an answer to this yet, you know, your your son's a toddler, right? Just yes. what, three, something like yeah, that? Yeah,
2: three in May.
1: Three in May, that's awesome. And, you know, and mine are five and seven, so a little bit older, but still relatively young to be thinking about this. But do you have, like, from your position of knowing as much as you do about media effects, do you have any thoughts or plans on how you hope to handle social media with your child in the future?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's so easy when you're, you know, thinking about being a parent or starting out as a parent to be like, you know, I'm going to be Protective of my child, you know, he's not gonna be on my phone all the time and exposed to all this stuff. But already my kid's watching videos on TikTok, you know, he loves right. the funny dog videos and they make him laugh and that makes me laugh. And so we watch them. But you know, as he gets older, I do think it will be an important thing. I think, you know, helping all children to see that you know social media is an opportunity to create a story to portray yourselves to others but we should be mindful of what we're doing and think about the effects it can have but also the other side of that is to always remember that the stories that we're seeing portrayed from other people online aren't the real truth so that's part of their life but there's also a huge side behind it that we're not seeing and so you know that's something that i think for kids but also adults and mothers to always keep in mind, you know, that we can follow these accounts and we can see all these idealized portrayals. We can even enjoy looking at them, but we need to always remember like this isn't everything. So to only compare ourselves to what we see portrayed online isn't enough. We need to also try to have a community that helps us to see beyond that. And you know, with the children thing, It's so interesting because my son, and even lots of kids born before him, you know, they're not going to know life without social media. Like, I can remember life before social media, barely, but I can. And for them, that's not the case. Like, they will have always had phones around and had social media and the internet. And for most of them, their lives are already public you know i'm already sharing photos of my child which again can be an ethical thing to think about like how much should i portray you know he doesn't have the ability to tell me whether or not he's okay with that right now which i think as he grows up that will be something we talk about you know i'll make sure he's okay with me sharing what i share but you know there's just there's a lot of layers there and a lot of things but i think the important thing is to communicate about those things from a young age even so that they're aware of the opportunities and the pros and the cons associated with social media.
1: Yeah, that seems like a really um, healthy, balanced way to look at it. Like you said, there's lots of layers to that. And, and you know, I, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that question beforehand. It just kind of popped <laughs> in my head yeah. maybe out of my own sheer curiosity because it is so layered. So as we kind of close up today, I'm curious, um, you know, we sort of know where you're headed next with the the research that you're working on. But as you think about this field of research and, and your place in it, what evolution do you see coming? What uh, do you see new me- methodologies coming up? Any new trends you're anticipating? Just anything you see coming down the pipe, either for you or the industry as a whole?
2: Yeah. So I think it's it's kind of hard to predict in a way because it changes so much and we don't always have an idea of what the next big thing is going to be. But I think one thing that's absolutely going to remain is that there's going to be an abundance of information out there. There is so much information out there available to us and there's so many ways that the media is influencing our health. And so I don't expect to run out of things to research in my career. Um, I mean, even with the pandemic alone there was so much to study in terms of health communication but i think there's going to continue to be that trend of a lot of information i also think that video is going to be continuing to be a huge thing so video you know like we see on TikTok, it's a whole other layer of being able to share experiences and perspectives and information and so um, understanding The effects of that and the power of video, I think, is going to be really important. Misinformation, I don't think, is going to get any better or go away anytime soon. So that's going to continue to be an issue. But, you know, I hope that I hope we can find a healthy balance of, you know, living our lives online and living our lives in the real world. You know, as a parent, I often do struggle with, like, making sure that I put my phone down and focus on the moment and give my son my full attention it's just so easy to be constantly wrapped up in what's happening online and so you know i hope that people can find that balance and i hope that my research can kind of examine that a little bit more you know um, the research i've done has shown the harmful effects that social media can have like on new mothers for instance but i'd really like kind of my future research to maybe look at how we can help Mitigate those harmful effects, you know, how can we help the problem instead of just contribute to it? So I think it'd be really cool to, you know, find ways to help mothers cope or to even recognize what's going on and realize, you know, maybe they need to take a break from social media or unfollow accounts that make them feel terrible all the time. Like, why are we continuing to follow them? And so I'd really love to do some research kind of examining how we can do a better job of helping the people that are being affected by social media.
1: That's that's beautiful. I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And some of the most, you know, harmful mothers stuff comes from mothers groups that women join because they want support, right? And then it turns toxic really quickly. So it sounds like there's a huge space uh, there and your time of research is very needed. And i have loved following what you're doing i think it's so fascinating and it's crazy to think back to you know 20 whatever 15 when we were in grad school together and um thinking about like where you are now and what you've done so thank you for coming and talking today i really appreciate it i'm excited to share it and maybe we'll do a follow-up episode you know next year when everything's published i think that would be super
2: cool so i
1: appreciate you
2: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and I love what you're doing here. And I think it's so important to, you know, share the stories of everyone and celebrate what people are doing and accomplishing. So thank you for that opportunity.
0: Absolutely. What a joy it was to have Sierra on the show today. I mentioned this in the interview, but it really has been so amazing to get to witness Sierra's journey from our time in grad school together all the way until now. And I just feel really honored to have been able to share just a little bit of her expertise with you all today. And I will definitely keep you updated as her research continues to develop. As always, thank you so much for being a part of the Create Space community, and I'll see you next week.